Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. Okay, first of all, I feel like we're back in 2020 because every other person that I know has COVID. So just wanna say, I hope you guys are healthy. I hope everyone's doing well. And if you are sick, I'm so sorry, hang in there. A few shows I've been watching recently that I think are so binge worthy and perfect for a sick week. Uh, Bad Sisters on Apple TV is literally an amazing show. I'm obsessed with it. Kaleidoscope on Netflix. If you're into heist shows, it is really fascinating and I'm really enjoying it. And if you just want an easy watch, honestly, like New Girl never fails. Jake and I have been watching it every night before bed and we just love it so much. So again, hope you guys are doing well. Hope you are healthy. I had a horrible cold last week, which I thought was a cold. And here's the thing about me. I get like five sinus infections a year. And that's just been that way for the last like 10 years of my life. And I should have known, you guys, I should have known that this was a sinus infection showing up on January 1st saying, hey, Alana, welcome to 2023. Get used to it. But I just thought it was a cold. And so I just suffered all week. It kept getting worse and just not going away. I literally had to cancel four recordings last week because I couldn't do them. I was too nasally. I was too sneezy and stuffy. And finally, on Saturday morning, I was like, all right, this is not going away. I went to urgent care. They were like, yeah, you have a sinus infection. I'm like, yeah, I should have known. So we're finally on antibiotics now, and we are finally starting to feel some relief, which is really, really nice. I kind of fucked up a little bit. I was supposed to have a really chill relaxing recovery weekend. That was my goal. Jake and I went into this weekend with zero plans. And then once I got the antibiotics, I'm like, okay, like, let me just chill, give my body some time to recover. But then that's not exactly what happened. Um, we were literally sitting on the couch in pajamas on Saturday night at six o'clock planning to just like go to a local restaurant on our street, maybe in an hour or so we were watching bad sisters and it was six 13 and I opened Instagram and I clicked on NYC Res X. And if you guys don't know what NYC Res X is, this is literally not an ad. I'm just obsessed and need you guys to know if you live in New York City or are ever coming to New York City. They post last minute reservations that people had and can't go anymore for whatever reason. And you can basically like apply into the reservation. And if you're like one of the first to do it, you get the reservation. And it's like all top tier restaurants in New York City where the reservations are impossible to get. And there's been this cocktail bar called Double Chicken, Please, that Jake has been wanting to go to for probably four months. I've been hearing about it. We have tried like weeks out on the dot. The second the reservations become available, we cannot get them. We have tried so hard. I've DM'd them. I've said I will like post about them. <laughs> Nothing. No, no reservations for us. But ResX posted that on Saturday night in 45 minutes from them at seven o'clock, there was a reservation for two people in the back room and the back room is like where you want to be. <laughs> I've never seen the two of us spring up faster. We like Jake jumped in the shower. I like ran to like throw new clothes on, get ready. We walked Barkley and we got in an Uber and made it down to the East village literally in 45 minutes from us being on the couch in our pajamas and we were just like laughing the whole time because we've never rallied so hard for anything. But we got the reservation. We got to double chicken, please. And it was so freaking good, like completely lived up to the hype, was so unique, so delicious. 
and we were just like over the moon that this happened. Um, and even cooler, the there were two girls sitting next to us, and as we were leaving, one of them was like, "Hey, like by the way, I listened to your podcast," and that was just like so cool and made such an awesome like special night even more special. And I just have to say, like, I love when you guys say hi. It means the world to me. It's surreal and something that I don't think I'll ever get used to, but I appreciate more than you know. So if you see me, please say hi. And we ended up going last night to Fort Charles Prime Rib, which again, our reservation was at 9.15. So again, my like casual relaxation weekend just did not happen. And it's Monday morning now. And I'm like full, still in a food coma, a little bit hungover. And I'm just like, this is not what I signed myself up for, even though it is. But like now my body's going to have to recover all of this week too. And it's a crazy week. I'm going to see Moulin Rouge tomorrow night. I'm going to Sugarfish tonight to continue the food extravaganza, I suppose. Um, and going to a really cool event and having a really awesome podcast re recording late on Thursday night. So big week ahead, super excited. But yeah, you guys, if you're in New York City, you have to follow NYC Res X on Instagram. It's like actually the greatest thing to ever happen. And I couldn't recommend it more highly because that's how we got into Fort Charles too, which again, like have been dying to go impossible reservation to get. In other news, obviously Valentine's Day is coming up. Big sigh, big yawn, SMH, stress, I know. But you guys, I'm so excited for the first time ever seeing other people is throwing two parties. Let me explain. I'm teaming up with the dating app filter off and we are throwing a Valentine's day party on February 7th and a fuck Valentine's day mixer on Friday, February 10th. The reason I wanted to do it this way, I am always hearing from you guys about how hard it is to find other single girlfriends or how all of your friends are in relationships and you're the only single one in the friend group and you have no one to go out with and wingman with or no one to just commiserate with and everyone's on different pages than you and, and that's hard and I've been there and that is so incredibly difficult and for some of you who aren't single like people just want to meet new friends in their 20s in their 30s and it isn't always easy so because of that, I am throwing this Valentine's Day party on Tuesday, February 7th with Filter Off so that you guys can come and make new single friends or make new girlfriends and just have people to, you know, be on the same page as and just go through these chapters of our lives with. I feel so grateful to have made such amazing friends recently in my late 20s. And I know that that's rare, but it shouldn't have to be. And so I want that for you guys. So it's going to be so much fun. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be amazing music. We're going to dance our asses off and just have such a great night. And guess what? Then the friends that you make at the Valentine's Day party. Also, you can just come with your group of friends if you want. Like if you just want to have a good time and celebrate you guys, like, please, I completely encourage that. Point being, you and the new friends that you make on Tuesday can then go to the Fuck Valentine's Day Singles Mixer together on Friday. And bam, now you have your new wing woman and you have your girls to go out with and have a great time with and meet people with. So that is the plan. The Singles Mixer is going to be that Friday. Friday night, February 10th, and it is going to be so much fun. I want you guys to come. I want everyone to forget about Valentine's Day and just have an opportunity to meet people in real life because that is literally the number one complaint I get and the number one question I get. Alana, how can I meet people in real life? Alana, I'm sick of dating apps. I want to meet people in person. I want to, you know, vibe someone out before actually just like having to go on a date with them. I want to meet people in person. So that is what we are doing here. Friday, February 10th, New York City. The venues will be announced soon. We have been working so hard and finding the exact 
exact perfect venues to make all this magic happen. And I'm just so excited. So the best part is these events are completely free to attend. And all you have to do is download the filter off app and show when you walk in at the door that you have the app downloaded. And that's it. And if you don't want to download the app, then you can just pay a $20 entry fee. There'll be a one hour open bar and discounts on drinks all night. And it's just going to be so much fun. And I can't wait to meet all of you there. It's going to be such a great time. Please, please, please tell your friends, spread the word, you know, bring a single friend who you're not interested in to the singles mixer, but somebody else might be. And you guys can wing man, wing woman, each other, spread the word, tell your coworkers, tell your cousins, tell everyone. It's going to be so much fun. And I cannot wait to see you guys there. Of course, I can't finish this intro without giving a shout out to the dating win submissions that we got this week. This was like a record high, you guys. There were literally like 100 dating wins, and I am so proud of you guys. So I just want to read some that did not make it onto the stories. Um, dating a guy for two months now who makes me feel so comfortable in any situation. I love that. I think feeling comfortable and safe is the number one thing that you can strive for in a relationship and when you're getting to know someone new. So I'm really happy for you. Someone else said, giving myself credit for going on a fun first date, even though my follow-up text was ignored. This is huge. And I'm so proud of you for giving yourself credit and for recognizing like, yes, this was a fun date and you went on it. You put yourself out there. You met someone and you had a good time and you're giving yourself all the points for all of those things. And yeah, it fucking sucks that their fo your follow-up text was ignored. Like that sucks, especially when you had a great time and wanted to see them again, but you still put yourself out there. You still had a positive dating experience and that is a fucking win right there. And I love that you guys are starting to look at this stuff this way. It's really, really incredible. Someone said, I decided not to let a breakup control me and ruin me. This is honestly like so impressive. And for me as somebody who has let every single breakup control me and ruin me and break me, um, I, I really admire this and it's so incredibly difficult to do. So I'm really proud of you and I hope you're really proud of yourself. Somebody said, process my big breakup and now I'm ready to get back out there and meet my person. I love that so much and go you for taking the time to process the breakup and give yourself the time and space you needed to heal and to recover. And now you feel ready and that's incredible and that's so beautiful. And I'm so excited for you to get back out there. Someone else said, should be going out on a second slash third date tomorrow with a woman I met at a happy hour. Okay, love this. Points for meeting in real life. And I know how badly you guys want to do that. So that is so awesome and amazing that you know, you approached her or she approached you and somehow you guys connected and ended up wanting to follow up and see each other again. That is amazing. And what we all want. Okay. A few more. Someone said in a long distance relationship, I was feeling a lack of connection, told him what I needed and he was there for it. Points for vulnerability and communication and expressing what you need. I love that so much. And that is so incredible. Instead of just, you know, letting it fizzle out or, you know, letting the spark die, you actually said like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Are you feeling the same way? And like, what can we do about this? And he was like, yeah, let's work through this together. And I love that so much. And that is so beautiful and incredible and just shows how healthy this relationship is. Um, somebody said, told my situationship person that I love her. She's felt the same way and she's my girlfriend now. Okay. I love this so much, especially because last week I posted a poll asking if your situationships have ever gone anywhere. And 86% of you guys said no. And so 
there were actually a few submissions in these dating wins about situationships turning into the real thing. And I honestly think that is because you guys are really opening up to communication and vulnerability and wanting to take that step forward to get out of the situationship and turn it into the real deal. And that's literally what it takes. It's the communication aspect that's missing in most situationships that don't go anywhere. So I am so excited that maybe the tides are turning with situationships and we are breaking through those barriers of getting to an actual relationship. So we'll end on that note. And with that, let's talk about today's episode. I am so excited for this one. I had such a blast recording this episode. I laughed so much. I had so much fun. I hope you guys have just as much fun listening to it. Today, we have Tatiana Folk. She hosts the Bedside Podcast, which she started to really create open dialogues and conversations and normalize discussions about sexuality and sex and sexual health. And she is incredible and she's so smart and talented. And you guys know I'm uncomfortable talking about sex, but I wanted to answer some of your more sex focused dating questions. So she helps me answer a bunch of listener questions. And we just have such a great conversation about going through life in your 20s. And I really love her and love this episode so much. So get excited. Let's get into it. Quick shout out to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode. I love how Athletic Greens has really become such a core part of my morning routine and my day and trying to help me feel good throughout the day and just start my morning off right. I had heard so many amazing things about them from friends and other influencers and podcasters, and I like didn't believe the hype until I tried it, and it has definitely transformed the way I feel. AG1 is a powder supplement, and with one scoop, you're absorbing literally 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. AG1 was created when the Athletic Greens founder was having all these health issues and needed so many different supplements. They were literally costing him over $100 a day, and it was unsustainable, unaffordable. And as someone who gets really sick really often, I can totally relate to that. And I really respect how he was like, all right, taking matters into my own hands, we are going to solve this. We're going to come up with one thing that provides all of these benefits. And that's what he did when he created Athletic Greens and when Athletic Greens created AG1. So right now it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system them with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That is it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. I literally take it every day. And a free five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash SOP. That is athleticgreens.com slash SOP for seeing other people to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let's bring Tatiana in and get into the episode. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Tatiana. Hi, welcome. I am thrilled to be here. So excited. My face just like lit up when we started talking a few minutes ago. I'm like so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I know guys. So Alana was just on my podcast and after we recorded, she was like, please come on my podcast. And I was like, yes, I'm here. I'm there. Um, And we were just saying off air, we were like, why aren't we in the same city? Because we'd be hanging out all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I was also like, please come on my podcast and please move to the East coast, specifically (laughs) New York city, particularly the Upper East side. That would be great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. you. (laughs) But okay. I'm 
I'm so excited that you're here. We're going to like dive into some topics around sex, which for the listeners, they know that I don't often do that. So a little nervy over here, but not really. We're going to be great. Um, But I'm really excited to have you here and to talk about some of these like such important topics. And I'd love to just first kind of back up and hear what got you started with bedside and how you what what brought you to like want to be a sex educator? Yes, great question. It's so funny because I feel like it's, you know, so many people who are in this space and even in like the real sex and relationship space, the dating coach space, they're always like, how did I end up here? You know, it's like a very interesting trajectory to getting here. So um, I think that the reason why I got into this space really came out of like a curiosity during my coming of age, you know, we come, you and I are like early age digital digital natives. Um, You know, I got all of my education on like Tumblr, I swear. Um, My sex ad was just really lame. And I remember during my coming of age, I was like, where do I go to get a cool contemporary dialogue around the sex and relationships that I hope to have one day, you know? And and plot twist, it's not at the Syracuse University AE Pi dance floor. It's not where it is. (laughs) Oh, here's another fun fact, guys. Alana and I both went to Syracuse. (laughs) So I'm sure we were like on an elevated surface there many a time together. But that is not where you go to get sexual education. But ironically, and I tell people this all the time, I so... I thought I had this very naive idea that by the time I got to college, that everybody was going to have this dating and sex thing figured out. I was like, oh, don't worry. Like high school, everybody will just like get it out of their system. And by the time they go to college, they're going to like know exactly what they're doing. And that is just the complete opposite of the truth. Like (laughs) nobody knew what they were doing. And I was like, damn, there's no dialogue around this. There's no rule book here. And we're fumbling around just trying to date and have sex and like fall in love and do things safely and ethically. And um, I just felt like there was a really big void. So long story short, I turned my senior thesis into kind of like, quote unquote, rebranding sex education. And I come from like a branding and graphic design background. So this was kind of something I was really passionate about. I saw there was a problem in a space and I was like, I'm going to make this my senior thesis. Long story short, my senior thesis, like six years later, seven years later, just hasn't finished. I'm still doing it. (laughs) This is what bedside is. Oh my God. Um, and awesome. But, you know, before I kind of like went full throttle into what I'm doing right now, I like hit the ground running in New York City. I got my like first real job at early days milk makeup, like helping with rebranding and graphics, went into the advertising space, worked in consumer packaged goods. Like I just am such a designer and graphics and rebranding person through and through. So really what I see is kind of like I'm helping to rebrand sex and relationships. That's my goal. Um, and kind of find space between this like hyperclinical and hypersexual narrative that we were given, right? Like think of like the way that you learned sex. It was either kind of in this very sterilized environment, like OBGYN going to the doctor's office or the super hypersexual hush hush, like pornography, you know, a lot of what makes people uncomfortable around sex. So I was like, where's the middle ground? Like where are people like you and I who are contemporary and digitally native going to get like real authentic information. I love that. And I think it's, it's so important because to your point, like there are certain ways that people learned about it, but there is this huge gap where people 
don't talk about it because they're afraid to talk about it because it's so stigmatized because they don't know how to talk about it. And I think Mm -hmm. I fall in somewhere there where it's like, I want to be talking about it. Mm -hmm. And part of me is like, well, maybe I feel weird trying to talk about it on the podcast because like my parents might be listening. But like the other part of me is like, well, maybe I just feel weird talking about it in general, but Mm -hmm. I shouldn't. It's like, it's literally something that none of us would be here if it weren't for sex. And like, (laughs) it's not like we're not having it. So like, why is it such a taboo topic to talk about? Right, right. And, you know, like, I think too, like, we see a lot of media talking about sex in this like, kind of extremist way. Like, I mean, love Alex Cooper and call her daddy and what she's doing. But like, that was like a really specific dialogue that she was going after. Right. And I felt like, was like, okay, this is meeting like a certain person, but where are the people who are like still coming into like that comfortability and what that means for them and their sexuality and their sexual expression. And I always call it like, I kind of like try and pare back the terms, right? Like I'm like, how can we look at our sex and sexuality as our life force energy? Because it is like that energy is what's playing out in boardrooms, in conference rooms, in workplaces, in your dynamics with your friends and your colleagues. Like that is what is giving you that like zaza zing, if you will, um, that kind of like brings you into what you're passionate about and really what you desire. Like desire belongs in the bedroom, but it's also translated in so many other categories. So I see all of those energetics being like that same thing. And I just, I just want people to feel free to explore what that means for them. Yeah, it gets so much more than just sex. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so there are a lot of questions that I've gotten from listeners over the years, over the months, like even in the past week about this. And I think the biggest question that I get is surrounding like how to actually communicate about sex with somebody new that you're dating. And maybe Mm. it's like, even just starting from like a first or second or third date where you end up going back to someone's apartment and you want to continue spending time with them, but you don't really want to have sex with them yet. And you're afraid to, you know, communicate that or it's, you know, when is it too soon to have sex? I get asked all the time, like, is there like too soon? Is there too long? Like what date should I have sex during? And I'm like, I'm a firm believer. Like there is no like date number that it needs to happen on or should or should not happen on. But how do people... Like, how can people get more comfortable and find the right words to communicate where they're at with somebody who they kind of just met? Yes, this is such a great question. Um, To answer, I'm in agreement with you, like whether or not you have sex on the first date or six dates in or half a year in is up to you. Like that is up to you to define. Um, I want to make it like very clear because this is something that I feel like took me a while to grow into, especially like I am conditioned as a woman. Like I grew up with a lot of different narratives around sex. So did you than our male counterparts. Um, And to me, I always thought sex was something that I had to give. I thought like pleasure was something that I had to give to somebody else. And like maybe me receiving something was like a potential side effect of the equation. Um, So I just want to say like you, you having sex with someone is not going to determine how much they like you. Like, I just, I just want to put that out there, like in the open. Um, and also, um, the sex isn't worth having if your values aren't being met. So that is like the preliminary thing that I just want to like get out there for everybody. Like if you are with someone and you're like, 
I like really just want to get off, but like, I don't know if we're vibing or if this feels right. Like, just don't go for it. Like you can do it better yourself. So I just kind of want to like throw that caveat out there. Like we absolutely like have the autonomy here and we should be making decisions based off of our value system. So this kind of gets me into like how we should be going about sex and communicating what we like really actually want from a sexual experience from someone who's new, right? Because I think like when you're continually having sex with the same person, you're building up more of a rapport and you're like building up comfortability, but when it's new, that's where it gets sticky. And that's where it has the potential to get awkward. And a lot of people don't voice what they want. So I look at communication around a sexual experience with a new partner in like three phases. It's before, during, and after. There's no just like one and done, we communicated, we're good. It's an entire process. So the before is really understanding what your values are going into a situation, right? For me, I realized like I'm someone who has to make a really firm decision before I do something, because I am historically someone who's like really easily swayed, convinced. I'm a people pleaser. Like I know myself really well. And sometimes even something as simple as like not a sexual situation, like going out with friends, I have to decide like, okay, like I'm going to come home by 11 so I can like make it to whatever the next morning. Like I have to predetermine that. So I highly recommend going into a new date, sexual experience, knowing beforehand what your boundaries and values are. From there, like you already have a strong like sense of knowing um, and you aren't going to cross any lines that you will wake up the next morning feeling regretful about. Um, So, yes, I would say beforehand, knowing what decisions you're going to make. And of course, like part of that decision making is like what your sexual health preferences are. This is like another big one. Like, are you somebody who wants to use a condom? Are you somebody who like requires birth control? Are you somebody who cares whether or not someone's been tested for STDs or STIs like within a certain time frame? And those values are up to you. Like there's a bunch of safer sex practices out there and it's like you get to determine which ones you care for and which ones you want to carry through on. Um, This is also to say like, you know, I'm not saying like go into a date knowing that you're going to like have this full sexual experience. If you don't want to do that, that's another value you can set. You can be like, you know what? I just like really want to make out with this person maybe, but I don't think I want to go for the whole shebang, which is totally fine and valid. And then I think, I know, then I think it comes to that like middle part. So after you've like predetermined everything, then I think when it gets to the point where, you know, you're maybe going back to one another's apartments, your homes, you just outright say, what you are expecting. Um, I think you've said this to me before, like we were joking about it on my podcast that you make a joke about it. You're like, we aren't just, so you know, I'd love for you to come upstairs, but like, we're not having sex. Right. And like, you, you can say- come up, but we're not having sex or I'll come up. And I, and I would say this, you know, obviously go guys, go listen to that episode of the podcast. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, it's so great, but yeah, like I will say it walking into their building, like before we open the door, I'll just be like, and, and it, we could be talking about anything else. It could be completely out of context, but <laughs> I would need to say it just so that I can relax after and be like, okay, I set my boundary there. They yes. know. And if they even for a second try and disrespect that, then I'm out that fucking door. Yes. Because that is not somebody I want to be with. Exactly. And that is going to be your like North star, right? Like if someone's going to be violating that, then like, you don't want to be with that. Um, and you know, here's another thing too. Like if you are in the heat of the moment, let's say you were like, 
we're not going to be having sex, but we're making out, but you're in the heat of the moment. And you're like, you know what? This feels really good. You are welcome to change your mind. Like you don't like yes. there, there's room for negotiation. And that's why I think the during is one of the most important parts because it's continually checking in and being like, do we like this? Like, are you enjoying this? Um, I think the sexiest question is like, can I go down on you? Or like, can I kiss you? Like all of these things I think are a really wonderful way to like be getting consent, but it's also so like mutual sex is co-creation it's not just like one person doing one thing it's a co-creative experience so I think it's so important to have these check-ins um and when it comes to like the awkwardness like I think we just need to like understand that like sex and dating has awkward moments especially when you're meeting someone new like new bodies coming together you are learning an entirely different formula around how someone gets off there's no like one and done situation here so i think it's also about having grace and then feeling comfortable being like you know can you go can you do this a little bit more like this can you move this way you know i like it more when you go like this and and just guiding people even if you don't want to like verbally say something just like being a guide. And I think that's when you end up having like these crazy, amazing experiences in the bedroom. Yeah. Um, and then I would say the final and third step around um, communicating around sex is really important to kind of have a post play. So I call it the post play talk. I actually got this concept from the queer community. It's called aftercare. So it's really about like, when you have more of a vulnerable experience, like sex can be for some people, you know, having the time to snuggle afterwards or talk or connect or just be more intimate with one another. I think this is great for if you're in a longer term partnership or you're with someone that you're wanting to continue having more sex with being like, hey, did you like that? Did you have a good time? Is there anything else you want to explore together? Like, this is the time I always say when people are like, wanting to express fantasies or like going like, more in a different direction with like their sex, exploring, getting adventurous. Like this is the time to do it because your feel good chemicals are writing so high and you both are like connecting so deeply. So you can say something like, Hey, you know, I've really been wanting to like play with toys in the bedroom. Would you be open to bring that in? And they'd be like, yeah, or no, or I'd never thought about it. So this is a really cool time for discussion. Yeah. And I think to your point of making sure you have that like quote unquote aftercare time, you know, I feel like we've all heard stories from our friends where, or even like personal stories where like someone slept with someone and it's like they leave right after. And mm. that has never made anyone feel anything other than like an object, not good enough or less than or an object. Exactly. And so I think it's really important to prioritize like, okay, like if we're going to do this, like, let's like lay in bed for another 10 minutes after at least, yeah. or like, like not just get up and leave. Like that is probably the worst thing you can do. And that is what's going to leave somebody questioning, like, what did I do wrong? Like what's wrong with me? Yes, completely. And it's not like you're obliged to like, you know, sometimes you have sex with someone and you're like, that was really fun, but like, it wasn't it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, but it's still just not about leaving somebody hanging. Like we have to like right. take care of one another. Um, yeah, and you, do, don't, you don't have to stay and cook them breakfast, right. but like just don't get up and walk out immediately. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like the point you made earlier, kind of in like phase one about, you know, figuring out your sexual health boundaries. You know, there was somebody that I dated for a relatively like decent amount of time. And I kept saying like, have you 
gotten like he wanted to have sex without a condom like well when's the last time you've gotten tested and he's like literally not in like years and I'm like well then we're not doing that and we were like literally dating and I'm like well I'm not doing that and he's like there's he's like Alana like there's like I've slept with very few people like there's no way like there's something going on I'm like well then go get tested he's like but I'm afraid to just because it's been so long but like I know I'm clean I'm like no so we were literally like boyfriend and girlfriend and having sex with a condom for a while because and we never we literally never got to a point where we didn't because that was something that I valued and was important to me and I wasn't willing to compromise on that just so that he could save himself a trip you know yeah yeah no and and like we want to be dating people who are like care about their sexual health, who care about like their general well-being. Like I don't want to be sleeping with someone who refuses to get tested. Like that is a really big value of mine that tells me a lot of other things about your personality and character that like maybe I don't want to be with you long term. Right. What else are you going to refuse to do? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay. What about, you know, the situation where I had a listener reach out recently because she was going on a third date with somebody and the date was going to be at their apartment cooking. And she was a little conflicted if she felt comfortable doing this or not, because at this point, like they had not been intimate in any way. And that's not something that she was at all ready for. And her concern was like, well, is he inviting me over because he like intends to have sex? So how can somebody kind of navigate that situation if they really don't feel ready? Like, would you advise that, you know, she makes a different plan where she's not going to the apartment to cook or like trust that that's not their intention? Like, how do you kind of juggle that? Um, I would say twofold. I I have two different opinions here. I would say one, um, if, if you are comfortable, just outright say it like, Hey, like, I'm really, really excited to cook with you. I'm super excited to show you my place, or I'm excited to see your place. Like, um, and like get after a great recipe. We're going to have such a fun time. Like, I just want to set the expectation. Like, I don't know how comfortable I am yet to like go to the next step. I hope you're okay with that. I'm still really, really excited for a good night together. Like, I hope you are too. So I think that's one like really simple way and approach to go about it. I would say if you're not comfortable having that conversation outright, change the plans. Just be like, hey, um, I've been really actually excited about going to XYZ restaurant. Um, We should go there instead. Maybe we'll get some ideas for what to cook next time around. So I think it's like more about like whatever you're comfortable with. And I also believe first dates, I always say like, like have them out in public, like be in public the first couple of dates. You're still understanding who somebody is. Um, So if your comfort level is still there, that's totally acceptable. Yeah, I think it's really important to note that like we all take different amount of times to be comfortable with things and with people and that's one million percent okay yes and normal yes I would say so too and like also like just throwing out a little like empathy card here right now like we've all been through like dating has changed so much in the past two years meeting and like having new relationships has shifted so much since the pandemic like people have like dealt with a lot a lot of stuff so don't be hard on yourself even too if you're like wow why am I like apprehensive about this situation right now I used to be so gung-ho I used to be like let's do it like not worried about stuff like this but I just think like like let yourself go at your pace. I always say too, like 
slow sex is the best sex, like, you know, so like go slow in every capacity. Like we need to slow down the way we date and meet people and like take up into account, like who we're really bringing into our circle. Like it's so important. Our circles are so sacred. This is a question that I have actually gotten from a few friends recently, um, where what do you do if you and your partner have very different sex drives? Like literally, like my friend literally wrote in a group chat and was like, how often do you guys have sex? Because I'm questioning how often my partner and I do, because it's not necessarily what I feel is right. Um, And I feel like this is very common. 100%. Okay. First off to normalize the situation here. Um, there was a 2022 sex report that came out a couple months ago. It was conducted by hims and hers. They surveyed like over 5,000 people in the U S about their sex lives. One of the biggest sex myths is that everybody thinks everyone is having more sex than them, which is hysterical. So that means we're all kind of struggling with the same issue, like thinking that we should be like having more frequent sexual interactions. I think the average American has sex once a week. I want to say that's even lofty in my opinion. Um, Mm. But if we're categorizing what sex is, I don't know if they like went into the nitty gritty of like part. I don't know if it was specifically partnered sex. I would say it would make more sense if people were also having partnered sex and then like masturbating too. That would make a little bit more sense to me. Um, But we'll just go with the study um, and the stats that they shared there. But it's just, it's such a thing. Like people are like, oh, am I having enough sex? Um, And it's really common, I would say, after the honeymoon phase of a relationship, because the honeymoon phase is just this like ultra heightened, you're in your flow, you are so hot and bothered for the other person. Like you guys are just usually much more like on your sexual thing. Um, But then when things shift and change and we flow out of that state, we come to more of like a standardized, like, desire, like frequency of desire. Um, I also want to say too, I get this question all the time. Um, So it's common where people feel like they're the high desire partner or they're the low desire partner. So that just kind of like puts into terms. And I think a lot of the time people are like, well, we have like mismatched libidos. I'm going to say a hot take and say like, I don't really believe in mismatched libidos because I don't believe in libido matching in the first place. Like, I don't think that we should be striving to have the same exact level of desire as our partners. Um, When you are the low desire partner, and I'm sure this is what um, your friend was experiencing, feeling like they were the high desire partner and their partner wasn't as in the mood per se, when you are the low desire partner, you actually have the upper hand because you're the one who's dictating when, where, how all the circumstances of like sex going down, right? Like you are the beholder of I'm in the mood, so let's go. And you're like, (laughs) I desire partners waiting. They're like, okay, okay, I guess this is the time to go. (laughs) So it's interesting. So if you are sitting there and you're a lower desire partner, just know that you have the upper hand. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good or bad thing. I just want to say like, um, your partner might be waiting on you. Um, And the reason why we sometimes tend to be a lower desire partner, first of all, first of all, I think our sexual desire ebbs and flows. Like we have seasons, for example, the honeymoon season, you are just down to fuck. But um, there are seasons in our life where we're more stressed, where we're 
more preoccupied with other seasons where we're just more in the mood to get it on. Things feel lighter, more exciting. So I just want to normalize that. Like I look at sex in seasons and the evolution of sex ebbs and flows. So there's not really like a standard that we should be striving for. Um, And to just make matters very clear, like, again, everything that's gone down in the past two years, the levels of stress, a pandemic. I talked to someone the other day who had like a super traumatic birth experience where she was like, I just couldn't and didn't want to have sex for a really long time. Like that is normal. So if you're in a spot where you're like, I'm just not feeling a lot of desire, that's okay. But it is your job as that partner to talk to your partner about the circumstance. So I think where the issue gets a little severed is when we're not communicating about it. When there's just this level of frustration where the high desire partner is like, what's going on? The low desire partner is feeling a lot of shame and we're not meeting each other. We're just kind of like conflicting. So I believe it's the job of the low desire partner to just say in the moment, hey, this is what's up. Like I I'm really stressed with work. I have a lot of deadlines and I just haven't been in the mood lately. Um, And just explain the current scenario. Um, And I believe that then it's also a job of the high desire partner to kind of like meet that lower desire partner where they're at being like, okay, I see where we're at. And usually someone, so I, I fall in the category of a high desire partner. I just, my love language is physical touch. I loved to like express that. I feel a lot of validation through that. So I would say if you're in the category of a high desire partnership, figure out what it is that you're actually craving. Because I always say it's usually not as much about the sex as we think it is. Like, yes, it's about the sex, but it's also about the validation, the connection, the words of affirmation, the physical attention. Like it's these things, wanting to be seen, heard, felt, understood, like all of these deeper concepts that I think is where we then begin to open the conversation between a quote mismatched libido and be like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. Like I am feeling like because you're not wanting to have sex so much that it's a personal thing, but you're going through a lot of stress and I find certain validation and affirmation through physical touch. So we're just not meeting in the middle here. And then I think the best part, regardless of what level of desire you're at at the moment really comes to like creating a new desire, new framework of desire. And it's kind of a fancy way of saying like, what are different ways that we can begin to explore our sex lives in, in, in terms that feel unique to us? Because another huge failure of our like sex system has been this idea that sex should be spontaneous Like, I don't know why we got into this loop where we're like, oh, like it should just be something that happens and we don't have to talk about it and we're both in the mood. But the more deeper you get into a relationship, like the less spontaneous it gets because it's just like life happens. Like we fall into what our flows are. And so I think it's so important to, you know, begin to meet on where like what we define an amazing sex life to be. And that's what I get really excited about because, you know, here's a really funny story. My partner and I, when we lived in New York City, (laughs) we would have these Friday night date nights. And um, 
we would get really excited because we'd like pick an amazing restaurant, usually in Little Italy, because of course, creme de la creme. Um, And we would go and get these amazing, like carb heavy, gluten-y meals. So good. And afterwards we would catch ourselves like kind of always like bickering for some reason, because we were tired and it was Friday. And then like, we wouldn't end up having sex. And this happened a couple of times and we would get frustrated, but then we started joking about it being like, what's going on with our Friday night date night? where we're like not having sex um you know like we both want to but like we're getting something's getting in the way turns out um (laughs) my partner has a gluten allergy (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that was getting in the way (laughs) so we would be eating these super heavy meals first off like bad timing because it was like a friday night i'm always personally so tired end of week by friday night i'm like please put on a movie i just want to go to sleep he was eating these super carb heavy gluteny meals, getting bloated, not feeling anywhere near sexy. And we just realized like we weren't meeting each other at the right circumstance. So I say this story because so often people are like missing one another. It's almost like a missed connection. Like maybe someone's really like energetic at night and another person is like, I need to crash and hit the pillow. So creating a new framework of desire is understanding like where you guys meet, like what are you excited about to explore? Like, what are you looking to, like, what time of day are you looking to maybe like get it on? And I think it's just about like rewriting a script that's unique for you because everything around sex has been so prescribed to us, which is such um, a disservice because I believe each couple brings such a unique, amazing, like luscious, desirous, sensual energy to a space and it looks different for everybody. So just coming up with your own rituals that you can explore. Um, and for the person who is feeling apprehensive for, you know, I'm thinking of the woman who told me that she had a really traumatic birth. It's really about like taking those baby steps, um, and staying in deep communication with your partner about it. I love that kind of what this goes back to is communication. And I think you made such an important point when you were saying like somebody might, you know, if, if the high, the high, high drive partner or mm-hmm. high, what was it? High desire partner. High desire partner might be thinking if the low desire partner does not, is not like trying to have sex, they might be thinking that maybe they're not attracted to them anymore. They might start mm-hmm. to get self-conscious of like, well, why not? And it's, it is on the low desire partner to communicate and say like, it's not you. Like I, nothing's changed about how I feel about you. It's just like, I'm not always in the mood. And I think that's so important because we get in our heads so much and we can, we tend to create our own stories of why someone's doing something or not doing something. And Mm -hmm. if, if you just communicate the root, like where it's coming for you and like why things are happening a certain way that could just save someone so much mental energy that's like being directed in the wrong way place. Yes. Literally just being like, Hey, this is not personal. I know that like I've sensed you coming on to me and know you really want to like, like have sex right now, but like, I I'm just not there. Like, and, and I like, it's just, it's okay. And I want to also say like having, um, different frequencies of desire is not a deal breaker. Like I think for a lot of people, they're like, oh my God, yes, (laughs) it's not a deal breaker. And I say this because again, this is going to be another hot take. um, But I think this is a huge lesson that will like serve people in any of their relationships is that your partner 
is not supposed to be fulfilling your entire cup. Like they are there as an enhancement, but, um, they're not responsible for your sex life. Like I know a lot of people are like, well, isn't that my partner's job? They're supposed to be the one like helping me get off all the time. No, not necessarily. Like they are part of the equation, but I think too, there's something about taking it into your own hands as well. Um, so if you are that high desire partner, you're just not getting it as much as you want. Like go out, get some really fun toys, loop your partner in, be like, Hey, like, you know, I am going to be exploring this. I'd love for you to be a part of it as well. If not, totally cool. Um, but but here it is and putting it all out on the table. And so it's absolutely not a deal breaker if you can kind of just begin to like voice where you're each at. Um, and eventually you're going to like succinct, you're going to sync up. Like if you're both willing and you're kind of getting to the root of a problem and then you're finding a new script that really works for you, like it's, it's going to benefit and, and you're going to find your flow. Yeah. And it's again, like approaching it as you're a team. It's not you versus me. It's not mm-hmm. me versus them. It's where it's us versus the situation versus the problem. And how can we work together to make this work for both of us? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I have a bunch of listener questions that I would love for you to help me answer. Um, I have some written down. Then one actually came in through an AMA I'm doing right now. So let's start with that one. Um, Someone said, how many parts, how many sexual partners is too many sexual partners? Oh, none. You can have as many sexual partners as you want. Like there is no, there's no number. Um, There's no, like, there's not too many. There's not too little. Like it's really whatever you crave and whatever works for you. Um, I think a lot of people get like shy about like quote unquote body count. I don't think it matters. Um, it, it has nothing to do with who you're about to enter a relationship with. It has nothing to do with like what it says about who you are. Um, I think so often like the narrative for probably you and I growing up was like, oh, like you're a slut. If that is something that you're like doing, if you go over a certain amount, but I don't think it matters. Yeah. I think the one thing about it though, is it, I think what does matter is if like being safe and Mm -hmm. Yes. If you're communicating about it to your partners who might be under the assumption that you are their only, that they are your only sexual partner. Oh, I, I see. That's where it gets tricky. You're saying, so you're saying, um, like, this isn't like a body count situation. This is like a multiple partners at the oh, same time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, we could go out. It could go both ways. Um, <laughs> well, okay. Well, okay. Hold on. So I interpreted it differently, but no, sticking with the body count thing, I completely, completely agree. Like the number of people you have sex with has nothing to do with who you are and does not define you and does not say anything about the relationship you're entering into exactly as you said. You know, I I have friends who in college slept with like more people than I thought a college girl could sleep with, but now they're, they're completely different. Like it doesn't mean that like they and I couldn't be friends because we didn't relate to each other because I wasn't sleeping with as many people as them. And it doesn't mean that they're doing it or not doing it now. You know, it's just like to each their own. And I think we, I think like we've gotten better as a society for not judging people for this, but I think like we could all do a little bit better to, you know, embrace who we are, embrace the number of sexual partners we've had or not had. And just like, know that it doesn't say shit about us. Yeah, it doesn't. It literally doesn't. And 
Um, if someone asks and they're like judgmental about it, I would kind of be weary of that too. Like there's, you don't need to explain your sexual history. That's not anybody else's business unless it pertains to like we were just saying a moment ago, like any safety around your sexual health and well-being. So yeah, that script. <laughs> Yeah. And the other interpretation. Yeah. I think like how many sexual partners at a time, as long as you're being safe and communicative, I don't think it matters, but you have to. Yeah. yeah. As long as you're not keeping on, as long as all the other people involved don't think they're the only ones. Like, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, it's, you want to make sure that if you are having multiple sexual partners, like that, um, the, you know, especially if you're dating around, for example, let's say that you're like still meeting people, you're, you're just like having a good time, um, just letting people know, or at least just being really, and I think this is when you need to just be really good about um, making sure you're getting tested and sharing that with every new sexual partner. Totally. All right. I'm in my first serious relationship. As we have began to become intimate physically, we have breached the conversation about porn and I'm feeling uneasy. We've tabled the conversation due to other things like my anxiety and him studying for exams. We've agreed to sit on it and empathize with the other person's point of view. I'm not against self-pleasure or porn. I'm not I'm not against self-pleasure, porn, or my significant other. I'm nervous about the long-term effects of what porn consumption can lead to. I have asked him to reevaluate and to try and make his consumption look different or less. What is helpful to think about porn? Is this a valid ask? Even though this is a personal thing, I feel like it does impact our sex life. Mm. So help help me to clarify this. Is this person saying that they want to their partner wants to bring porn into their sexual experience or is it more about that they watch it in tandem with um like on the side I think it's that they watch it on the side and this person thinks like feels uneasy about it and feels like Mm -hmm. it does impact their sex life so I'm gonna go back to what I said before where your partner isn't obliged to fill your sexual satisfaction 100% and they have the leeway to explore their sexuality on the side in solo play however they desire. So if that's through pornography, like that's on that's fine. that's that's their territory to explore. Um, I think just, if you're really uncomfortable about it, it seems like you might need to have a bit of a conversation around it in terms of like, hey, um, you know, for some reason, I'm a little bit uneasy about this. You know, can you tell me more about like your practice with it? Like, and and I think it just is like probably she mentioned her anxieties around it. Um, so I look at pornography as an addition to a sexual experience. It is not an entire sexual experience. Um, And, you know, there's a really amazing place for porn and audio erotica because our number one sexual organism in our bodies is our brain. Um, So getting arousal in that area is so important and it's stimulating. And I don't think we need to like shame anybody for how they get off. Um, I am a believer in using as many tools as possible, um, to just like help you have an amazing time. So I don't think there's absolutely anything to worry about here. Um, in fact, I think it's cool that your partner felt comfortable sharing with you that that's part of their like own practice. So if anything, I think it's a good thing. 
I think another thing to consider is why do you feel uneasy or uncomfortable about it? And this is something that I've heard from a lot of other women where they feel like, well, if their partner is watching a lot of porn, like their partner expects them to, you know, be this like porn star sexual being. And that is just not at all the case in most or all situations. So I think, you know, if it is something that it's making you self-conscious, maybe that's something that, you know, you can encourage yourself to be a little extra vulnerable with your partner and express that, you know, and I'm sure your partner would reassure you that that has absolutely nothing to do with it. And they do not, they're not putting this expectation on you. You know, they love you for you. They enjoy their sex with you because of all the reasons that they enjoy it. And they're not hoping that you're going to be something that you're not. No, exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I think too, like you, you bring up such a great point of like kind of unpacking, like, why is it, um, why is it kind of bringing something up for you? Why is it triggering you a bit? The like porn industry in the way that like we've been taught around what porn is and the amount of shame we've put around it is so insane. Like we have just like many people have digested it as a very shameful thing. So I think kind of understanding like what your own relationship or ideology around it is. So you're probably like projecting that onto your partner and that's probably why that's like feeling uncomfortable for you. So, um, but I really do believe that porn can be an amazing thing. Um, and like I said, a tool, um, and you're right. It has nothing to do with like how much they like you. Um, it's kind of why some days you want to have like Mexican for takeout and another day you want Italian. Like, it's just like, you like right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such a perfect <laughs> metaphor and a perfect way to put it. Okay. Next question. How to handle an accidental pregnancy? Should you talk about this before being intimate? And if so, how? Ooh, um, Or do they mean like they're pregnant and they haven't said anything yet and they're going to get intimate? I imagine it's either this happened or they're afraid that this, like, what if this does happen? What do I do? Like, should we have this conversation before having sex of what we would do? Mm, I see. Um, I think, can you read the question one more time? How to handle an accidental pregnancy? Should you talk about this before being intimate? And if so, how? Um, I think that I think that this is something that, and again, this might be a bit of a lofty answer. Um, I think this is something that you need to come to the conclusion on before you chat with a partner about it. Um, so I think it has to do with like what is your comfortability? What are your decisions around your body if you do happen to get pregnant? Um, And that is 100% in your court. Your partner has a say. They are part of the equation. There's something that gets to be like weighed in on. Um, But ultimately, the decision is up to you. Um, So I would assume you might be in a situation where maybe you're stopping to use birth control or um, like you're just having... um, your practices around sex might be a little bit more like loose. Um, I would say that if you're going to go into a situation like that, just know what your options are. Um, And 
like that decision is fully on you. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I would think. Yeah. I think it's important to your point to figure out what you would do on your own, you know, and Mm -hmm. know your values, know what is important to you. And if part of that equation is, you know, bringing this other person in and, and getting their opinion, then by all means, um, feel empowered to do that. But I think it is important, you know, for everyone involved to have that thought. Like if you are having sex, there is always this possibility. And what would you do in that situation? And what would you do, you know, with this person versus another person? Like, does that impact your answer? I think these are really important things to think about. And, you know, I've had conversations with friends about where they are in their relationship or their situationship with somebody where it's like, well, what would they do if they were to get pregnant? Um, I, I know. Yeah. And it, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think it's really interesting. Like you do enter um, a certain age, like especially in your later 20s, if you are kind of like in a more committed relationship um, where you're like, well, what would I do if this happened? Um, I had a friend, my, my closest friend, it just had, she accidentally got pregnant last year and it was such an interesting conversation. She was the first person, I was the first person she called and she's like, I just need to tell you, I know, you know, I've been off birth control um, for like a month or two. And like, I got pregnant. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh. And she, I was like, so where are you at? What do you need? I'm here. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a lending ear, a lending hand, like, let's go like wh- wherever, whatever you decide, like I'm on your team. Um, and she ended up like making the decision to not keep it. Um, and it was just like, she was like, no, this feels really right to me. So I think, um, but it is interesting, right? Cause you're like, okay, I'm entering an interesting part of my, my life right. where I'm less frequently running for plan B. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know somebody, um, a friend of mine, she had met somebody at a party and they were dating for a few months and they got pregnant and wow. they they're now having a baby, which is crazy and not expected, but they are, getting ready for it and happy for it. Um, wow. so you never know where life takes you, but you have to also keep in mind, like that could happen. Like it, yeah. is, it is a very real possibility. And I think it's so know, funny we, now. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I think we forget often like sex between like male and female body, ana- like anatomy results in a baby. Like yeah, we forget, so that. forget that. Right. <laughs> like that's how we all got here for the most part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It's like so funny now. I'm, you know, I'm entering an age where a bunch of my friends got married this year. I have like 15 weddings next year. And it's so weird to think about like, oh, my friends are soon going to be, you know, trying to get pregnant Mm -hmm. or getting pregnant on purpose this time, like, because they want to. (laughs) And it's like such a like bizarre concept to think about, like how much has changed, but we are, a lot of us are at that, that stage in our lives or, you know, a lot of them are. And yeah, it's just, I think it's something that like you should actively think about. Yeah, totally. Okay. Next question. Um, we, all the names are in parentheses here. They're not the real names. So don't worry. By Going the way, groups, yes. these listener questions are amazing. Like you guys are crushing it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sending these in. Like absolutely obsessed and love helping you guys out. All right. I'm going on a group ski trip with a bunch of my friends and I'm bringing my new boyfriend, Joe. Do I need to tell Joe that I used to casually hook up with one of my old friends who is coming? Bob. Bob is also bringing his significant other and is cool. 
But oh, and it all is cool between Bob and I. Never any drama. I feel like it's really no big deal, so I don't want to cause any unnecessary hurt or awkwardness by telling Joe about Bob. But I also would be pissed off if the tables weren't reversed and I found out after the fact. Joe is totally mature and level-headed, so no risk of drama. But of course, it would sting him a bit. Mm. Ooh, love this question. This also is a great love, question. Yeah, such a great question. Love a group ski trip. Um, yeah, I'm shall- jealous. Can I come? Yeah, right. Can Alana and I join? We're a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, shout out to Joe and Bob. Um, I want to say, so I have two opinions here. The fact that you said you would be bothered if if the tables were turned changed my answer. But my original yeah. answer was like, you have no reason to share um historical details. Um, I was actually in a similar situation with my current partner um, when we first were dating. And um, another one of our friends I I used to hook up with very casually and I never brought it up. um, And I just didn't feel the need to because I was like, that is really in the past. There's nothing lingering and I am like stepping into a new chapter. So I don't feel that, that it's important. There's nothing there's nothing um, more there to iterate on, you know, um, it would just be like a, Hey, this happened. Um, there's no other emotional charge. So I found that it wasn't important to our dialogue or where we were going. Um, that said, if you do feel like if the tables were turned and you'd be really salty about that situation, um, I think then it might be good for you to just say something. Um, but do it in a way that um, makes your partner, your current partner feel really safe and not threatened about the situation. Um, So I would just go about it in a way where it's just like, Hey, um, I'm really excited for this ski trip. I just want to let you know. And I feel like it's important for me to share this. It's kind of scary and vulnerable for me to share this. So, um, but the Joe or Bob or whoever it was, um, Bob. and I used to hook up it, Bob, Bob and I used to hook up. Um, it was a long time ago. It's, you know, there's nothing there anymore. We're each dating different people, but it felt important for me to let you know, because if I were in that situation, I would want to know. So I think it's like kind of emphasizing it on you and your story versus like, Hey, and coddling someone about how they're going to feel. I think it's like, bring it back to you. Always bring it back to you. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think especially if you would be upset if the roles were reversed, like Mm -hmm. that's how, you know, you should say something. And yeah, like being open that you feel uncomfortable talking about this, but you like want them to know and um, there's nothing for them to worry about. You like literally don't think about this person. You're only bringing it up because of the situation um, and you just want them to, you know, be in the know. Because, you know, I recently, what, Jake and I had an engagement party to go to that my ex was at and I had not seen my ex since we had literally broken up. And so for me, like, there was like the normal like anxiety around it of like, oh, I'm seeing my ex. Like, are we going to say hi? Are we not? It's going to be weird. Is it not? But like I told Jake because I like it would have felt so weird for me to be there and have this other person there where like it's obviously going to be on my mind. And it would it would have felt to me like I was hiding something from him yes. had I not shared that with him. And I even said like, 
like I'm going to go say hi because it's ridiculous that it's been an hour and neither of us have said hi. We both are aware that we're here. Like, do you want to come? I literally said like, do you want to come? Yeah, and he was exactly. Like, yeah. And he was like, whatever you want. He didn't end up coming. We ended up talking for 30 seconds. It was fine. But like, it would have felt like I was hiding something had I not told him that. Also, like, I, I love that story. Such a great, like, expansive moment for anybody who, like, it has encountered something similar or knows they're going into something like that. Like, we want to be emotionally mature around our exes. Like, it doesn't mean we have to go up and say, hey, how are you? Oh, my God. Da, da, da. Like, and go into a crazy, like, conversation. Like, right. I think it's just about being cordial. Um, and... Like, I love what you said, like that you wanted to tell Jake and what I'm kind of seeing from it too, is like you telling Jake also like makes you feel like you guys are teammates. It makes you feel safer and more secure about the situation. Like, you know what, like I've built my team around me. Like, even though I might be a little anxious about this, like if there is any sort of anxiety, you're like, I'm good. Like everybody's in the know, like, you know, I've got my, like, I've got it and I'm, I'm ready to like show up, you know? Yeah. So I think whatever's going to make you feel more comfortable and supported is huge. And, and so just follow that and your gut will tell you. Exactly. And, and to anyone else in, in my situation, I know it's slightly different than um, what the listener wrote in, but like, I think it's completely okay to feel like a little awkward and a little anxious and nervous when seeing an yeah. ex for the first time, like does not mean I have any lingering feelings for this person at all, you know, does not mean my relationship is any less important to me it's just an awkward thing. Like yeah. it's simply a weird thing, especially when you know it's coming. Like I kind of always knew like, Oh, when this person gets engaged, like I will oh, see yeah. him. And finally yeah. it came. And so it was just like, Oh, okay. Now it's time. Okay. Now it's the day. Um, but it's nothing <laughs> to like feel weird about or like be embarrassed that you like feel weird about it. Like it's so normal and everyone gets awkward around their exes hundred percent. Did you, what, like, what was the conversation you ended up having? Did you go anywhere? Or was it just kind of like high level? It was so like, literally, like I said, like for an hour, neither of us said anything. And I kept trying to like, like, I would like walk by to go to the bathroom to try and like get an in to like, see like say hi because it was just so awkward that we weren't saying hi but like he was surrounded by all of his friends and like finally I just like broke into like the the table of friends and was just like hey um we talked for like a minute it was basically like oh we're responsible for this because we kind of set them up um and then it was just like catching up for 30 seconds and then my friends were like Alana and like pulled me into a photo unintentionally and that was it perfect that was yeah. handled so well I love it yeah yeah. And like, I honestly felt like I was the bigger person for going and saying hi, because he wasn't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Always be the, always nice be that me. person. Just like, go, yeah. go greet. Not go that say it matters, hi. but exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. My last question for you, even though I don't want this to end because we could talk for hours and hours and hours is what is the best piece of dating advice that you've ever received? Mm. The best piece of dating advice I've ever received is that when you meet somebody where, where it just feels easy and fluid, um, hang tight. Like dating should feel easy. It should not feel like an effort. It should not feel like you're swimming upstream trying to convince anybody anything. Um, when you meet somebody who 
can mirror that amazing greatness that you see in one another. Like, you know, when you're sitting down and just having like the coolest conversation with someone like us right now, we're just being mirrors right now to one another for like what we each see in ourselves, what's being reflected. So when you find that and when you find that ease and when you find that flow, like, hang on explore that hold on tight grab it yeah (laughs) exactly and and on the flip side of that I I love that so much and I couldn't agree more like when it's easy that's a really really good sign like it shouldn't be that hard and it shouldn't be a chase like that's another thing like I I get similar questions too like oh like I find myself constantly in the chase like we should not be chasing people in our lives whether it's friends whether it's partners like we should be in a situation where it feels easy um, and it feels like something we're both mutually excited about. Um, So, you know, this kind of goes back to this self-worth component. Like if your values aren't met, it's not worth it. The sex isn't worth it. The dating isn't worth it. Like we want to find people where um, we're not striving to step outside of ourselves or prove something. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Tatiana, thank you so much for being here. Where can everybody find you and Bedside and anything else you want to shout out? This was such a treat. Um, I feel like we could talk so much. We didn't even get into friendship breakups, which is- I know, I know, I know. There was a whole other thing we wanted to talk about, but stay tuned, everyone. We'll do that. Yeah, we're going to have to. I'll I'll either have you back on or whatever. We'll figure it out. There's so much to get into. Um, But no, I'm so excited. I'm so happy to have been here. You guys ask such great questions. You ask such great questions. Um. You can connect with me. You can find me on Instagram at The Bedside. I am on The Bedside Podcast. You can find me at thebedside.co online. I'm also on TikTok now, I guess, by The Bedside. Um, Shout out to TikTok. Such a fun place to be. Um, So yeah, you you can find me there. Amazing. Thank you so much again for coming on. And to everyone who listened, thank you for tuning in. Send this to a friend who should hear it. Send it to the whole group chat. Share it on your story. Tag both of us. Don't forget to check out my episode on Bedside. I, again, linked in the show notes. And leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't yet. Five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars on Spotify, on your app, on your phone. Doesn't work on your computer. Love you guys so much. Keep sending in those questions. They're so amazing. You can find a form to send those in on in the link in bio. It will say literally like Google Forms, send in your question for the podcast. And I'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>